1: See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Small business
2: owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you, who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. JPMorgan Chase Bank, NA member, FDIC. Copyright 2024, JPMorgan Chase & Co.
3: Musora is your access to online music lessons for guitar, piano, drums, and singing. This is your chance to reignite some old musical passions or pick up an instrument for the first time. Connect with more than 100
0: Learning to make it on your own without your parents can be tough for any kid, but especially if your mom and dad are superstars. Over the last three years, Maya Hawke has managed to escape the long shadow of her very famous parents, Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawke. She's made a name for herself, first as an actor in Stranger Things, Little Women, and Tarantino's latest Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And now, Maya Hawke is breaking new ground as a singer-songwriter. Maya's debut album, Blush, is an invitation into her vivid inner life. In her songs, she's figuring out who she is out in the world alone. The songs are clever, poetic, and raw. They touch on the dynamic emotional life of a young woman navigating her way through love, lust, and disappointment. I spoke with Maya recently from her family's home on Long Island. She speaks candidly about how she honors all the various versions of herself, and why she slipped into what she calls her sultry Cinderella character during early live performances. You'll also hear Maya talk about going to Graceland with her dad and a song she wrote about their rocky relationship. This is Broken Record, liner notes for the digital age. I'm Justin Richmond. Just a quick note here. You can listen to all of the music mentioned in this episode on our playlist, which you can find a link to in the show notes. For licensing reasons, each time a song is referenced in this episode, you'll hear this sound effect. All right. Enjoy the episode. Here's my conversation with Maya Hawk. But before we jump in, here's Maya and her producer, Jesse Harris, on guitar, performing the first single from Blush. It's called By Myself. I was thinking about talking to you yesterday, and I was thinking I first saw you, first even knew about you from seeing Quentin's movie last summer. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, my wife watches Stranger Things. I haven't really seen it, but she knew you from that. But I was thinking about how both of those things came out last summer. So last summer must have been a complete whirlwind, and what a difference like a year makes.
2: For me, the part that feels like a whirlwind is the making of the thing. Like the summer before, when I was filming Stranger Things and sneaking away to film Quentin's movie and like recording a bunch of music and like that summer felt like a whirlwind. And then last summer of 2019, that was just a summer where things came out. The setting it free to the public part is sort of like, is that, you know, you want to hide under the covers um, a little bit.
0: Got it. Got it. Obviously, you're still young, but you've been acting for a few years. And I tend to think, I guess people tend to think of actors as being just very free with themselves, you know? And it's hard to imagine that you aren't impervious to things like just feeling like, oh man, this thing's coming out finally, and how's it gonna be perceived?
2: I mean, first of all, a lot of the actors that I know are some of the least free with themselves people I've ever met. I think there are a lot of misconceptions about that. But I also think there is a difference between being free with yourself in the space that you're in, where you can look at every person in the room in the eye and exist in your whole self in that moment when you're recording the piece of work or on the stage and you can look at at the audience or even at a dinner party and you can look at everyone in the room, there's a difference between that level of being an extrovert and the level of being willing to take that extroversion and share it with, you know, millions of people or hundreds of people. Um, That's another level of bravery that I think you almost have to be psychopathic not to be afraid of.
0: That's fair. I hadn't considered that. And I guess it's almost the difference between doing things like this in person and doing things like this over Zoom. There's a bit of control you lose between, you know, like, I guess if you're doing something, a stage production, even though there's an audience out there and you don't know exactly who they are, there's a bit of you feeling like you're in control of what's happening to them and their reactions. And when things just go to air somewhere, you're like,
2: you're like, I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Right. The energy is different. You like, you know, and like, also, I'd probably present myself differently if we'd done it in person. Like, I just jumped out of the pool and threw on a t-shirt <laughs> and sat down to talk to you, you know, which is different than, you know, if I'd come into your office, I would have, like, picked out the right pair of jeans, you know, and, like, brushed yeah. my hair, probably.
0: Right. Well, I like we're getting a more real version, the more the more authentic. <laughs> they're
2: they're all equally think. real, you know? I mean, I think that that idea of authenticity is a very complicated idea. Um, like, what is your authentic self? Is it, is it when you prepare to meet people or when you're unprepared? Like, is it when you're with your best friend or with a complete stranger? Sometimes we're more ourselves with strangers than we are with our family. Um, And what does that even mean to be yourself? It really just means how yourself, are you being in that moment, right? Like any self that you are will change from moment to moment, I think. For me, at least it does.
0: Absolutely. When I was listening to your album, it feels like the idea of identity comes up a bit.
2: Totally, yeah. I think, I think that's true. I think that in those years when you leave the school system and you leave the family system and you enter your independent system, whether you're 26 leaving grad school or 18 leaving high school or like I was 19 leaving a first year of um, drama school, and then you kind of hit the streets on your own and you're living by yourself. And I think it's a massive developmental moment mm-hmm. for a person because you start to realize who are you on your own, you know? Like, it's the first moment where you're really, for me at least, faced with the mirror reflection of like, okay, who have I become? And so, and this album was written in those first three years that I was working for the first time in the real, like, business world and living by myself for the first time and having adult relationships for the first time. And, and I think that, you know, maybe in a narcissistic way, maybe not, all of those experiences gave me moments to check in and look at myself and say, okay, wow, this is how I handled X situation. This is how I handled Y. Like, interesting that I have become this person. What person do I want to be? How do I want to handle these differently? How do I like, do I like myself? Do I like the way I handled that or not? Um, And so this album for me tracks a lot of those experiences.
0: So you are really taking account of, Of you, of yourself, who you are.
2: I think so. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm I'm one of those kids who've like been in therapy since they were twelve or something, you know. So, I generally I'm self reflective to the point of it being a fault. Like a thing that people say to me all the time where they go, well, I guess that sounds like a complicated problem, but like, it's amazing that you're so self-aware about it. And my response is, I was like, yeah, I'm self-aware. I know I'm self-aware. That doesn't mean I can change anything. Like, just because I know why I'm doing the crazy thing that I'm doing doesn't mean I'm going to (laughs) stop. Like, I'm still going to keep doing that crazy thing. Like I'm not in control. I just know what's out of control.
0: That said, it's good to know. It's good it, it's, it's good a, to know. It's, it's just
2: not as good as you would think it is. It doesn't get you as far <laughs> as you would want it to.
0: So you wrote this three three years ago, you started?
2: So it was started three years ago. I just turned 19. Got it. And then I uh kind of wasn't planning on making a whole record. Um I just sort of had gone to my friend, Jesse, who is who I wrote this album with and asked him for some advice on a song I'd written on my first job uh, that I'd done in Ireland. Um, And he gave me some advice and I was like, hey, look, like if you ever wanna write a song together, I would love to, Um, just let me know. And he was, cause he co-writes with a lot of people and does a lot of stuff and he was like, great, cool. How do you wanna do it? I was like, maybe I just, I'll send you a poem. And so I sent him a poem that I'd written and he put it to music and that ended up being To Love a Boy, which was the first single that we ever made together. And then we just kind of kept doing that without really, at least on my end, without there ever being a plan to make an album or really even to play a show or like, I I just was enjoying having a, a place to put my poems. So then we just sort of kept, kept plugging along and collecting songs and, um, eventually had enough to play a show and we played a show and, then we put out those singles, and then we got some attention from a label who wanted asked us if we had enough for an album. And we were like, yes, we do. Here they are. And that's sort of how we ended up here now.
0: What was your first show?
2: My first show was at Rockwood Music Hall. I think I did like a 12-song set with the band that I still play with.
0: How was that experience?
2: Terrifying. I've only done probably 12 shows in my whole live long life. It started out being really fun because I had so much adrenaline about performing um, And so much nerves that I was kind of almost totally unaware of what was happening around me. Like, I just would kind of stumble on stage and be like, okay, I'm gonna sing these songs now. And then by the time it was over, like, I blinked and it was over. But then the more I did, the more I was able to actually relax on stage and become aware of the mistakes that I was making, the places I wasn't being myself. I'll return to using that phrase that we talked about, like, the place I wasn't being the version of me that I wanted to be. Um, I often have a, a character that I can fall into. I've had it ever since I was in like ninth grade, which I call like sultry Disney princess. Like I've become like a slightly like <laughs> drunk, kind of like sexualized Cinderella or something. Um, and it's like kind of bubbly and like, oh, like I'm gonna say something really inappropriate, but in a really sweet way so you don't even notice. Um, and I hate her, like she's just my worst enemy. I hate her so much. Um, and uh, I was doing that character a lot on stage. And so the more shows I did, the more I realized how I could grow and get better. And only my last show I ever played before COVID happened, which was at Joe's Pub, was a show where I was like, okay, cool, I can stand behind that performance. Like, I'm, I, feel, I feel good about how I did that night.
0: When did music become part of your life in a, in a real way?
2: Music was always a part of my life, primarily through my father, who is just like a big music fan, a big, kind of old fashioned country music fan, like not pop country, but like the good old stuff, Johnny Cash and that kind of thing. And um, he, that was sort of always on in our living room and Willie Nelson and Neil Young and Bob Dylan and those sort of like great old folk guys, Leonard Cohen. Um, That was kind of like the language of what was playing in the house um, when I was a kid. And I really fell in love with that primarily still like through the poetry, like what moved me the most about it was was the language. Lines would get stuck in my head, and I would focus on them, and even as a kid, like write poems based on those lines.
0: Wow. Any particular lines that you remember still?
2: I loved this song, um, the, the song The Redheaded Stranger from uh, from Blue Rock, Montana, wrote into town one day. Um, and he talks about uh, in that song, there's, um, he's wild in his sorrow, um, is one of the lines in the chorus. Don't cross him, don't boss him, he's wild in sorrow. And I wrote a poem when I was a kid called Wild in My Sorrow.
0: No one writes like Willie. No one writes no like one Willie. Writes That's just, yeah, yeah. get goosebumps here in the line.
2: Yeah, like even over Zoom. It's like, and you're like, whoa.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's incredible.
2: He's amazing. And so, and then my dad also like is kind of a novice guitar player, as am I. Um, and um, we just kind of had like jam sessions in the living room and we would memorize songs together and sing them. We used to sing Hungry Heart and this song called Blue Wing and like. We just kind of had this sort of hoot nanny like, like, you know, you're surprised there wasn't a harmonica in the mix kind of guitar circle, the two of us in the living room when I was a kid. So that was a big part of my upbringing. And then, you know, my parents are divorced. And when especially when I was younger, when I'd have to spend a lot of time away from my dad, he'd go away to work or something. He would give me these playlists. Oh, he made me this playlist that ended up being actually featured in a movie to my great chagrin, um, which was like a Beatles black album playlist where he took songs from every Beatle from after they had broken up and kind of reconstructed a, a, a final Beatles album by combining them. And he made me a playlist, all of Dylan covers. And like like he like, he would sort of, Mix it up and he made me all these great playlists to try to teach me about music and Elvis playlist um so we went on a road trip together to follow the life of Elvis from like the first church that he was born and where he got his first guitar and when was this i guess i was 13
0: and you were into it at 13 like this wasn't like a like you're forced along or time mean, totally anytime
2: into it. i got to spend with my dad i was into at 13 i mean oh, he's great. my hero um if you have a daughter it's all all good all goodness coming up she'll love you Two. forever warms my heart to yeah. hear this um, and uh, so we went on this, yeah, we went to where Elvis bought his first guitar, and we went to the church that he was born, and we went to Memphis, and Sun Studios, and Nashville, and then finally to Graceland. Um, so that kind of, I don't know, it was just always a part of my life. I really considered myself, you know, a, a fan more than anything else, and I still do. Like, I, I'm i not a great musician. I love to sing. I sang my whole life. I was always in choir at school, and I, lo- I love to sing. But I don't. I don't really know how to play an an instrument in any way that would impress anyone, except like maybe like a boy at a party one night or something. Um, like I can vaguely. That's useful. That's useful. Oh, <laughs> it, oh trust me, I, I milk it. But um, I, I milk those twelve chords I know to you know to them back. But I love music, and I love writing poetry, and so the collaboration with Jesse and getting to sort of like have access to his brain and his amazing melodic thinking and that incredibly sophisticated way in which he constructs melody. I feel like we come together in a way that I really like because it adds some roughness to his um, sort of like elegance and he adds some elegance to my roughness.
0: We'll be right back with Maya Hawk after a quick break.
1: Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico it's and not or see what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com/investinginamerica apple card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card you earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day
0: Here's Maya Hawk and Jesse Harris performing her song, Generous Heart. Oftentimes you'll hear a song, a Neil Young song, and it'll sound like deeply personal. Mm-hmm. And you'll find out, well, it was really about a, a character. You know, he, yeah. was, he wasn't writing about himself. He was thinking of someone else. I wasn't sure how much of that was going on, but it seems like you're kind of revealing yourself in this pretty public way with with these songs.
2: Yeah. Like, yes, it is revealing. Um, All the songs, when I wrote them at least, felt extraordinarily personal. They now feel more like characters to me because the mood that I was in when I wrote them doesn't feel like the mood I'm in now. You know, if it was about about a very powerful feeling or whatever that I was having then, it's not a feeling that is present in me. So in a lot of Mm -hmm. ways, when I go to sing those songs again, it does feel like a character. I have to get back into the, like, for example, when I wrote Menace, I was feeling tremendous shame over being an extrovert. I was feeling very embarrassed about basically being a flirt. Like I, I was feeling like I was in a relationship and like we would just get into these constant fights about the way that I would behave when I was out at a party or whatever. And I, I really would make an effort to like make everyone at the party feel good. And like I'd touch people's shoulders a lot. And like I, I shared a lot of myself with a lot of people. And I just mean socially, right? Um, and I get, we'd get into a lot of fights about it because what he really wanted from me in those scenarios was to like be on his arm. And I was feeling really guilty about that. I was like, "Fuck! Like I'm a bad person. Like I'm not being a good girlfriend. I'm I'm a I'm being a menace." Um, and then you know that relationship ended, and I now sing that song, and I'm like, "What the frick was I thinking? Like, like I was being fine. Like, 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 like <laughs> yeah. Like, like I don't like I don't need to spend all my energy devoting to like coddling and eat. Like I can be a social person, and that's okay."
0: How do you feel when you sing it then? I mean, beyond that, you don't connect to the person, but in some way in your head, you know that you were that person. Does it do you now feel almost ashamed to have been the person who was embarrassed to be just an open person?
2: Yeah. I mean, I usually like before I sing that song in public, I usually tell some version of the story that I just told you, which then makes me kind of feel better about it. And I sort of sing it from the from the point of view of a person who's like kind of lying about not wanting to be a menace anymore. And like, I focus more on the lyrics of the verses.
0: Do, do you mind singing a verse from it?
2: Let's see. Um, the first, the first lyrics of the verse are, Turn my gaze away, Relieve the impressions that I've made, Like rain in my creeping hand. I want to behave, It's a small concession, All my regressions I don't understand. But it's painful old news, And pales in comparison to choosing you. So it's so like there, there's a certain kind of accurate statement of fact in the verses in the chorus is, I don't want to be a menace anymore. And that's what I feel detached from, right? Like now I feel like, no, I do want to be a menace actually. I'm fine. With that. <laughs> um, and, but in the verses, those are more sort of statements of, of fact and feeling and things that happened. Right. And so that I can kind of more attach to as a memory versus this claim of how I want to change is what feels more alien to me.
0: It almost makes the song cooler in a way because it's it's now the chorus is ironic.
2: Yes, yes, exactly. That's how I feel when I sing it now. I'm like, this is an ironic chorus, but okay.
0: (laughs) I like that a lot because you know you do sound very sincere when you sing. It's like there's a certain feeling I get listening to your music that I get when I listen to like um, a group, particularly like like the Mamas and the Papas, right?
2: Oh yeah, I love that.
0: When you listen to that music, there's they're really sincere. They really pour themselves into the music. Yeah. You know and listening to your album felt a lot like that same experience.
2: For me, there are jokes all over the album, but from like, at least as a listener, I love it when I'm listening to a song and I hear the joke, but I feel like I'm the only one who gets it. Like if if the, maybe I take this from acting a little bit. Like when some actors will wink at you while they're acting and they're like, this is acting, you know, they're like, (laughs) they're like, That was a joke. This is acting, and they're like, "I'm actually a movie star, and you know it." Like, like there's a kind of like a kind of like wink about it. Yeah. And so I like it to hide the jokes and hide the irony in total sincerity, so that if there is that one person who listens to it 20 times, they're like, "Oh my god, she doesn't mean that line," or like, "That line is actually a slam of that person." Like she's singing it like it's a compliment, but it's actually a total diss. Like. Cool.
0: Do you, Are there a couple of jokes or winks you can, you can let us in on? It?
2: There are. Let me see if I can think of them. They're all over um, the last song, Mirth. The middle verse of Mirth is, um, I've got a problem I think he could fix. He seems to undo all my usual tricks. But the marks on his belly and the lines on his face shadow his softness and romantic grace. That whole song is sort of secretly about... There's two songs on the record that are... Yeah. It, this is an adult podcast. Yes. Yeah. Okay. There are yeah. Two songs on the record that are kind of secretly about not being able to orgasm. And, <laughs> um, and, and, and
0: I never would have guessed that. And it's listened. the first
2: and last song. <laughs> um, like the last lines of, um, generous heart are, um, I know it's my fault. I need to lie dead to find a cascade towards something but dread. And that's secretly about that. But I, don't, I wouldn't want anyone to know or find out. But to me, that's what it's about. And so inside, I'm winking and laughing.
0: Well, <laughs> only people listening to this now yeah. know. <laughs> I never would have gotten that.
2: That's your inside scoop.
0: Yeah, there we go. Great, <laughs> we're running with it. Uh, let's talk about So Long a little bit. Um, yeah. I love the sort of dissonant sound of this cool. song. I guess, where, where does this song come from? I really like this one a lot.
2: This song is basically about the idea that like, if you have like a crush that you've met a couple times or whatever, you can start to think about them so much that they become a character in your life um, that is different than the person that they are. I mean, this also happen, This can also happen in a million different relationships. It can happen in a professional relationship or whatever. But if you focus on somebody, anyone really in your life, and you spend a lot of your time alone thinking about them, they become this other person, this sort of ghost character in your life that is totally separate from the person that they actually are. My favorite lyrics in the song are all in those pre-choruses. And the first one is, I'm not a coward. I'm just afraid of all of the things that I, um, or of how of how quickly tomorrow could turn to yesterday.
0: And and I know that doesn't, you said this, these were written long before uh, this year, but I think those lines stuck out to me, particularly the pre-chorus, because I think I feel that way so much about our future moving, you know, like, and it has nothing to do with society or or, or politics or
2: a virus. I mean, like everything has to do with society and politics. I mean, all of our interpersonal relationships, all of our, are all interacting with the world. I mean, if you think that you can exist outside of society and politics or outside of the world, even in your interpersonal relationships and feelings, you're sort of delusional, I think.
0: Foucault would definitely agree with you.
2: (laughs) Yeah. But um, how our tomorrow can turn to yesterday, I think, What I meant when I initially wrote that line was that, you know, the idea of something is so much, is often so much shinier than the reality. Sometimes it isn't. And that is amazing when that happens. When the reality of something is even bigger and brighter and more beautiful than the idea of it. But so often it isn't. And the fantasy is so much kind of more alive in you than the reality would be. Right. But I think that, that that kind of can connect to now in two ways, which is one, like we're all so afraid of what's going to happen and that it will be terrible. And like, probably, and maybe it won't be so terrible. Like maybe things will end up okay, I don't know. Or we end up putting away all our fears and just being blindly optimistic and being like, everything's gonna be okay. And that fantasy is so much brighter than what will really happen, probably.
0: Yeah, I was realizing too, the line, I cannot hide my cards there, can't um, even keep them close, that struck me. And then, Two songs later coverage, here is where I put my trust. If you tell a lie enough, you can't pick it from the truth. It's been of tremendous use. Yes. It's are almost saying two different things about if they're in fact about you. It's like these there's these two different versions of you. There's the you who you cannot help but show who can you can't expose yourself and then there's a party that's like well i'm not really giving too much of myself i mean
2: i think that's a wonderful observation and i think that that's really true and that kind of plays into what i was talking about about how each song though they were all pretty much written very personally are different characters because of the different moods and changes that i went through while i was writing them in life like if i'm at a dinner or whatever everyone would know what i'm thinking about what anyone is saying Like, all my thoughts are written right across my face. Like, if I think someone's saying something stupid, it'll, I'll make, like, I just, I can't control my face. Um, So that's kind of what I cannot have my cards, dear, can't even keep them close sort of means, is that if you get me in the moment, I'm a terrible liar. And I'm totally responsive to whatever is happening in the scenario. Uh, That line in coverage is sort of about, like, how I do, like, with memory and stuff, I have constructed memories for myself that are totally false um, based on just repeating them in my head and picturing them. Like, my parents got divorced when I was pretty young and when I was a kid I spent so much time sort of trying to remember and hold on to the moments in which they were together that I have fully invented visual memories of times that were together that didn't happen. And I believe, and somewhat in the way that I believe in acting, I believe that that is possible. I believe that like reality is totally fragmented and exists in your head and you can create alternate realities for yourself, alternate consciousnesses for yourself. If you lie to yourself enough and that as a tool that can be used to t- tremendous good and tremendous harm. And uh, so th- I think both things like it's a good catch. Those, those are very contrasting forces in my life.
0: We'll be back with more of my conversation with my Hawk, but before we break, Let's hear her play an acoustic version of her song, So Long.
1: Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.
4: Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Listen to the Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com/business/podcast. Chase. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. JP Morgan Chase Bank N.A. member FDIC. Copyright 2024 JP Morgan Chase & Company.
3: Musora is your access to online music lessons for guitar, piano, drums and singing.
0: Before we hear the rest of our conversation, let's listen to the gorgeous song she wrote about her relationship with her dad, Ethan Hawke. Here's Goodbye Rocketship from Maya's album, Blush. There's moments in the album that are more quiet and it's just you and a guitar. Um, and then there's moments where there's much more going into the the, the song, you know? You, there's, yeah. there's the full You have a full band behind you, you know? Yeah. It sounds like you could have gone and kept the whole album acoustic. Was there a reason? Did certain songs feel like they needed something more to you or or what did you, what did you and Jesse decide on that? Like how did that come?
2: For me, it was again, like more about play and experimentation than it was about the intention of making an album. Like if I do this again, I think I will choreograph much more sort of like what I'm trying to do with the album sonically. Most of the songs were recorded individually um, on this record. And like, also it was like, we wrote, we did Animal Enough after we'd played a couple of shows And I left the show and I was like, I wish there was a moment in our set where we could sing a song that like would make people feel excited about the fact that they have to stand. You know, like all these songs, I feel like you'd want to sit and listen to these songs. And I want a song to play in the middle of the show that makes everyone want to stand up. Can we make one like that? And Jesse was like, sure.
0: Is it, so it seems like it's something you're really more and more getting into and involving yourself in. Does it feel like something you want? I mean, is there a goal now?
2: Yeah, I think I definitely like, learned so much about music production and music through this process. And I'm really excited to sort of like take that information and go into another situation and make something else. I'm excited to like, rather than doing an album kind of piecemeal, um, the most satisfying musical experiences I've had have been like rehearsing a set a bunch of times and then performing it for people. And I would love to treat an album like that. I would love to like get a band together and rehearse a set and then record the set. And that doesn't necessarily mean like live, like happy to do overdubs and add things in, but, but to have this feeling like, oh, we're constructing a whole experience from beginning to end. And that was a part of it in its performance and in its creation, rather than sort of a piecemeal collection. In the beginning, there was a moment where I sort of really tried to simplify the way that I write to kind of make kind of simpler songs. I was sort of paring myself back like in, not in a bad way, in a, like I was just, I was really looking for the most essential words, um, most essential feelings and really trying to pare down. And in the stuff that I'm working on now, I'm kind of letting myself pare back up. Like now that my information, like now that I'm thinking about things in a different way and I know more, I'm letting myself be sillier and like write songs from other people's perspectives and be, use sort of more poetically ambitious language and add more jokes and be more silly
0: as you're writing now, and I know you're saying you can you feel you can be more free, free to do more, free to do less. What is your writing looking like now? Do the songs feel any different?
2: Yeah, they feel really different to me. A lot of these songs on this first album feel very developmental to me. And there are also a lot of love songs on this album. And um, a lot of the stuff I've been writing now is is less that. I wrote a song about about reputation and acting and celebrity. I've written, I wrote a song about one of my favorite authors. Um, So I've kind of started to do more, to to play more in the material that is interesting to me. And I think that just makes a lot of sense. I mean, like the ages between 19 and 21 are very love-focused years. And even like using different tools to really write about the same thing. Like Yes, the song I wrote recently about my favorite author is about my favorite author, but it is also not. Like, it's also me sort of using that as a device to talk about this person and the way that they behave and how they remind me of each other, you know?
0: And I, I, love, I love how self-aware you are of like, you know, particularly your age, you know? I, I, I don't know that I was that self-aware at that time. Listening to your music, listening to your album, I had a lot of the same feelings resurfaced that I felt like I had 10 years ago when I was 20, 21. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really great thing about music is that music can make you do that. And I think it's a really cool thing that you did to be self-aware enough to sort of not try to write beyond where you are, sort of. Yeah,
2: you just got to be where you are. And that's still what I'm trying to do now is just sort of be where I am. It's like where I am happens to be like in quarantine, spending a lot of time online with the news and a lot of time reading books and a lot of time like talking to my friends on the phone. And, um, And so I think it's just all about being present in your current circumstance, writing as honestly as you possibly can from the most potent version of the feeling that you're having now with an understanding that that feeling will fade and change and um, not trying to like encapsulate your entire person in one song and also not trying to run away from who you are in the songs either.
0: So much of your early um, musical development was attached to family events going on these road trips with your family and just your dad making you these great mixtapes um was it fun to finally share any of your music with your with your parents with your dad or your mom
2: it was it's really fun i mean in the simplest way like as a kid i'm incredibly proud to have done something and finished it (laughs) like you know i mean as, as simple as that like to have started a project and completed it and get to be like look, I made a thing. You can have it now. Like here, like, um, uh, you know, it's like bringing your homework in from school or, you know, there's almost something dorky and simple about that too, you know, just to sort of be proud of having accomplished something, um, and get to share that with your family. And that's really special. And I mean, there's one song on the record that was, that's about my dad, the second to last song. And, uh, that was an incredibly powerful experience to get to share that song with him because he and I had been sort of fighting a lot and having a lot of different conversations where, you know, when you end up kind of in the same fight with people and you keep, you say sort of like more and more horrible things that you don't mean yes. just to sort of like try to get to the core of whatever the feeling is that keeps not going away. And you're like, well, if the feeling still isn't going away, I'm guessing I'm going to like do the worst Escalate version. Escalate this, of it.
0: yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: And so we would kind of been having the same fight over and over again. And then I I wrote this song and I played it for him. and, And it was like, I finally had said the thing that I was trying to say a million times in the kindest way and in like the truest way and in a way that, because my father is an artist and a writer, like a way he could really hear. like and that's what music has sort of always been for me is actually a way to present feelings to people in a way that they can really hear. And I think people often can listen better to art than they can listen to words coming out of the mouth of someone they love. So that experience of getting to use music as a tool for communication in that way and share it with my dad who sort of created my relationship to music was a very powerful and positive one.
0: Did you preface the sharing that song with him as this is sort of about you or this is, I've tried to work out sort of how I'm feeling or did you just let him?
2: I was sort of like, I just let him, it's so obvious. Got I mean, in, within our relationship, he would know from the fifth line. I don't think I prefaced it. There are even, there's a line in the song that I stole from a song I wrote when I was 14 to him. I, when I was like, when I was 14, I wrote a song, I'd gotten in trouble for lying. And I wrote a song to sort of try to get out of trouble. And the chorus of the song was, you don't know how to raise me any more than I know how to grow up.
0: What an, in, that's a, that's an indictment. My God. <laughs>
2: that's an indictment. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so I took that line and I put it into this new song. <laughs> so he knew pretty quickly.
0: And was, was the reaction, did it feel like a, a positive reaction?
2: Yeah, I think it was very cathartic for both of us, you know? That's great. Um, yeah. That's
0: great. Cool. Do you, do you mind just singing like a line or two of that song?
2: Yeah. I do what you tell me, like it's my idea. I came down to find you, pretend that you're here. And I never could replace you. It's too dark to try, but I look for our memories and their clothing and their eyes. You didn't know. And that's the first verse. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you.
0: Well, thanks for taking the time to, uh, to get out of the pool and talk with
2: me. Of course, anytime. Always happy to get out of the pool. Thank you for being so kind. Thank you for listening to the record. It's incredibly respectful and kind to do such a thing. And I, I really don't take it lightly, that sort of time and energy. And I appreciate you spending it on my record. And I, I thank you for wanting to talk to me.
0: Thanks to Maya Hawk for sharing so much of her life and inspiration with us. You can hear Maya Hawke's album, Blush, by checking out our playlist at brokenrecordpodcast.com. And be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash brokenrecordpodcast. We can find extended cuts of past episodes and also new ones. Broken Record is produced with help from Leah Rose, Jason Gambrell, Martin Gonzalez, Eric Sandler, and is executive produced by Mia LaBelle. Our theme music's by Kenny Beats. Broken Record is a production of Pushkin Industries. And if you like Broken Record, please remember to share, rate, and review our show on your podcast app. I'm Justin Richmond. Peace.
3: not just because we love hearing from great musicians. We do it because we think that there is something beautiful about the appreciation of music. Don't you think we need more of that in our lives these days? That's the mission of Musora, to inspire, educate, and connect musicians. Enjoy unlimited personal support, weekly live streams, student lesson plans. It's like having a personal music teacher, only much, much better.